0: Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad you could join me. And soon, Jim Matthews as well. He's our guest this week on the program. You might recognize that name if you go to any of the sportsman shows or if you're a subscriber to his Western Birds newsletter or his outdoor news service. Among other things, uh, an old hand, particularly at... uh, southern california bird hunting so we're going to focus a little bit on that and uh the species of interest to me uh scientifically this season uh california quail maybe a little bit of gambles quail in there but a lot of great hunting strategy and tactics for anybody anywhere who chases dogs and carries a shotgun while they're chasing them. So stick around. Your two cents worth, we're talking about your important goals for this hunting season. I think you'll be a little surprised at what your colleagues are making a priority. And, uh, oh, maybe you're not. Maybe it's your priority as well. And then our road trip this week Uh, kind of philosophy what i learned hunting all new places the past three bird seasons that might be of value to you a little practical stuff but mainly just philosophy so get ready for a little bit of think time in there what are you doing these days well getting a lot of talk about first puppy litters yeah a lot of people are getting them you know having them not the people, but their dogs are having them. <laughs> and uh, and then there's that, uh, you know, next level right now of puppies who are learning their way around birds, you know, introductions, uh, the, the preliminary stuff, whether it's a, a wing and a string, yeah, yeah, don't get me started, or live birds or dead birds and just becoming comfortable around them. Lots of talk, lots of questions in that arena over here. Speaking of young animals, my pigeons are multiplying like, well, like the chipmunks in our yard. Luckily, also like the quail in our yard. I've mentioned in the past, we've got a whole bunch of valley quail out behind our place. And um, seeing interesting, uh, some interesting, uh, uh, you know, developments there. Uh, Late litters, late hatches, sorry. (laughs) And early hatches combined with multiple parents of various genders it's it's a fascinating study and we get to look right out the back window and see it thanks to well the fact that our water we have a little water feature in our yard and it's the only water if you go south you got to go 30 miles to the next water so out here on the desert that's enough to bring birds in as you might have learned last week from our great incredible soon to be frequent guest rocky gutierrez it's all made possible by Roughland performance kennels sage and breaker gun care products pointer shotguns mid-valley clays and shooting school ringneck nation of huron south dakota and true lock choke tubes well i promised you a little bit of philosophy and here it is you know i've been I've been searching for places that, uh, well, two things. Number one, an excuse to go in a different direction. And number two, places that I've raced past on the way to to my kind of old favorites. And actually writing about that in the current edition of Upland Almanac Magazine, so watch for that. But those two things, you know, getting outside the comfort zone, uh, going out and keeping the expectations down, which would probably be the first bit of advice, and that's what I'm going to share with you. So if you're going to a new place, the first thing you should do is realize, even if you don't find a bird, don't see sign, your dog never locks up on a point, there are still all sorts of other things you're going to get out of that. At the minimum, you're going to cross that place off your list, at least for a while. At the maximum, you're going to get some great pictures, or you're going to get a dog that's happy because he got to go out and stretch his legs. You might have an adventure story or a scary story that you can uh, drink on for the next couple of weeks. Whatever it is, low expectations, as Ray Wiley Hubbard says, the days that he keeps his gratitude higher than his expectations. He has really good days, and I'm kind of living that as well right now. And maybe when it comes to hunting spots, you could too. Second thing that I've learned is uh, when I'm going to a new spot, I'm going to a spot that has three or four spots nearby, whether they're old favorites or other new spots, so that if one goes sideways, I've got another one or two or three that I might visit. I use that example a lot when I'm going you know, far away and hunting uh, public access ground, walk-in country, that sort of thing. And that's a little easier sometimes because the blotches on the map are all the right color and you can, can, can do that. But you can do that on a topo map as well if you just know how to read one carefully enough to find similar habitats, for example. And then this one just keeps coming up more and more, and I promise I won't labored after this, but bottom line, thank you, Ben Warner, for this bit of advice and the example you set in that regard. You want better bird hunting? Walk a little farther than everybody else. Yeah, most of us hunt within a half mile of our trucks. If you go three-quarters of a mile, most of the folks will give up. You'll have it all to yourself I know we're not going on a hike per se but why not go that extra mile almost literally to find better bird hunting less hassled birds new country and who knows what else hey be safe out there hope to see you in the field maybe in here on South Dakota on our fur feathers friends dot-com adventure learn more about it at the website yeah it's your chance to use your dog as an ambassador to a new hunter in one way shape or form we're brought to you in part by mid valley clays and shooting school you know on top of learning how to shoot and having a good time shooting they also have an extensive inventory of hunting guns and if they don't have it they might be able to outdo your local gun shop the gun shows your auctions or anything else Dave Fiedler and the crew at midvalleyclays.com has a line to all those hard-to-find guns you might be looking for. They have a great relationship with all the major manufacturers, and that translates to, hey, Mr. Manufacturer, do me a solid and send me one of those for that guy who called because Scott Linden recommended it. Yeah, browse the brands and all the availability. And then give a call to Dave Fiedler. Get more information at midvalleyclays.com. And once you got your new gun, or you're eagerly anticipating its arrival, plan on going to Huron, South Dakota. Hunthuronsd.com is where you get all the information you need. They'll send you a full package of hard copies of maps with discount coupons, information of all sorts, and... Entry information on the Ringneck Festival and Bird Dog Challenge, which takes place in November. You know, the entire season, though, you have close-in access to 124,000 acres of public ground. Everything from waterfowl production areas to walk-in private property, it's all in Huron, South Dakota. I'll see you there. HuntHuronSD.com. Hey, wait a minute, what the, no, not in studio, I do not have a valley quail in studio with me, but I have the next best thing. Jim Matthews is joining us, this guy knows his birds inside and out, including how to make a call that sounds as authentic as that. We call him Southern California's last newspaper outdoor writer. Yeah, used to, kids at home, if you didn't know, you probably ought to ask your parents yeah there was a time when they all had an outdoor column but he's also the editor of western birds newsletter he's got more information on hunting california birds in general and particularly in southern california and that's why i've asked him to join us here at the upland nation podcast jim matthews someday we will meet in person i bet we've crossed paths but thank you for joining us on the podcast
1: oh it's a pleasure to be here with you today and and uh thanks for the just the gushing intro i mean i you know, it almost sounds like I'm dead.
0: Uh, yep, no, 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 no. What if, what if you let's not even talk about writing obituaries. No, no, yeah, that's something we don't want to talk about. We're both, uh, we're both on the downhill side, but we're not out yet. We're just down. Um, you know, I I bet we have crossed paths. You and I have spoken at the same. Events over the years. Back in the day, I used to work a lot with Ed Rice, and then with the folks who took over on the International Sportsman's Exposition. So, so I was at some of those, and I bet you were at some of those as well, yeah, and maybe yeah, others. Yeah, I'm sure you and I
1: shared the same stage. I, I'm, in fact, I'm positive of it. Well, the John, what was John's the promotional guy for Ed Rice? Uh, oh, John.
0: Heck, I should know. He became a good yeah, friend. He, yeah, he
1: did he did all the scheduling, and I know we were there together. I mean, I I listened to your your events, but we've just never had a chance to sit down and have lunch together or you know shoot birds together and you know there's always a standing invitation to come to southern california where no one wants to go
0: i know and
1: you grew up here
0: so you know why yeah (laughs) but there are still some (laughs) great pockets of of all sorts of things i just read a great piece about fly fishing on the san gabriel river back a while ago but there's still some great stuff to do out there and if you are tempted to go there for whatever reason, then, uh, you know, you just got to search it out.
1: Um, You you know, I always tell people that that in good bird years, we have, you know, quail chucker hunting as good as any place in the West. When we have a couple of good hatch years in a row, um, it's phenomenal here. And we have public lands everywhere. Like I was telling you before we got on the air, I, I live a mile from the national forest. I can be on public land in five minutes from my house and you know there might be 30 million people in southern california but most of them live within you know like me from a minute to 30 minutes from public lands where they can hunt and most people don't have a clue that's true and it's, mo- it's just amazing we have we have just tons of public land and, and- you know we have three national forests we have all of the vlm land across the desert we have state wildlife areas and most of those are open to hunting and and it was like i, I in fact i started western birds in 1996 just because so many guys were calling me as a newspaper guy, well, where where can I go? You know, all there is is houses, you know, and it's like, good Lord, have you driven to Vegas? You know, you (laughs) drive through 150 miles of Mojave Desert. It's amazing country. You know, and I, and I, it's, it's amazing. I, a couple of years ago, we had a a great bird year in the South, South deserts along the Colorado river. And it was as good as I've seen in my lifetime. You know, my, my sons are older now. They're in their thirties and my son shot, One trip we went out for three days with two newbies, uh, two of the guys he works with also in their late 20s, early 30s. And uh, they all shot limits that trip a couple of days. And we were sitting around the campfire one night, and I laughed. You know, I said, it's not always like this, guys. I said, these are going to be your good old days, you know, because, because things have changed and continue to change. And unfortunately, not for the better. And that's true, I think, throughout the West.
0: Well, look at the – I mean, just look at the changes you guys in California have had to put up with. Um, Non-toxic shot for for everything. Um, Yep the the anti-gun movement declining bird populations generally speaking overall in a you know a trending 10-year trending or 50-year trending process all those things we're going to talk about some of those as well because it you know we don't want to sound like the chamber of commerce but you're absolutely right and i i'm talking about this kind of stuff on a regular basis too
1: let me tell one one quick story there's some guys from uh, michigan that that are avid bird guys you probably know them they're not my name's the name's not right on the top of my head because I hadn't thought about this story when I was, you know, doing some planning here before the show. But uh, a few years ago, they called me, and they go from Michigan and Wisconsin hunting grouse and woodcock, and then they go to Nebraska to hunt bob whites, and then they finish the year in southern Arizona and New Mexico hunting scales, merns, and, uh, and um, gambles quail. They'd never shot wild valley quail or mountain quail, mm-hmm. and, and it happened to be one of our good bird years. And I told the guy, come to California. I sent him to an exact spot where I knew they could. And it was January, so it was toward the end of our season, right at the end. And I said, look, I I know a canyon where I can send you, where you're going to run into all three species, valleys, mountains, and chucker in the same hike. And uh, I said, I'm going to send you to these three canyons on the east slope of the Sierra Nevada near a little town called uh, Ridgecrest in your current area. <laughs> so for guys that know California, I'm writing it away, You know, <laughs> <laughs> on the west side of the Highway fourteen three ninety five, those yeah. canyons over there. Okay. And anyway, those guys went there, and I didn't hear from them the first couple of days they were hunting. And then I get a call, you know, and they talk through their nose in that part of the world like this here, you know, they talk like that. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and the guy calls me and he says, Oh, Jim, he says, we just wanted to call and thank you. He said... He said, we've had the best bird hunting we've ever had in North America. Wow. And these are guys that have hunted all over. Yeah. He said, oh, yeah. He, says, we've, he said, we saw more coveys of birds, more individual birds, and more variety of birds than we have any place in our entire lives. He said, it was unbelievable. We just don't know how to thank you. And, and you know, that's not a typical year, but that's how good it can be.
0: Well, you, you know, you, you just think, think about why – my parents my uncle's parents everybody else in that world you know in the 40s and 50s moved to california
1: the golden state
0: it it had the 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 climate is generally favorable toward the same things that birds like most of the time and uh, that is that is number one number two as a proportion of the population fewer people are out there pressuring those birds now granted the popular spots are going to get a lot of pressure but i you know talked earlier in the introduction in the podcast about walking a little bit farther than everybody else and that's one of the keys so you know all those things are critical uh you know that i know that and uh and then uh, you do what I do to a great degree, and that is I want to help people find good spots because I want them to be successful because then they buy more ammo, they buy more shotguns, they recruit more hunters, and that's how we fund wildlife management. So, and, and that's all, also, also how we keep our sport. Yes. Uh, you know,
1: I, I like to tell, I do, I do seminars on this stuff all the time. I didn't do any this year for guys that are listening that mm-hmm. are mad at me for not doing any <laughs> this year. I apologize. But Um, one of the things I always talk about is the numbers. And people say, oh, it's so crowded in California. And it's like when I first started hunting in the 60s and 70s, 1960s and 70s, um, we had 20 million people in California and we sold 850,000 hunting license annually, resident hunting Mm licenses. Last year, which was actually kind of a boom year because of COVID, a lot of people went hunting that hadn't in a long time. Mm -hmm. We sold 250,000 licenses and the state's population is 40 million. Twice as many people, a third as many or less than a third as many hunters as there used to be. So when people tell me it's crowded today,
2: I laugh.
1: There Ah. are fewer people on our public lands than there's ever been. And, you know, opening weekend, I I like to tell the story, my boys and I, they're both into music and so they were doing music until late the night before the opener. We, we got a late start, had breakfast in a little desert town and I went to my first choice and there were a couple of trucks, trucks there. So we drove to my second spot a couple of miles away. And then my third spot, cause there was a truck there and I was talking to the guy cause I knew him. That's how small the community
2: <laughs> is. And
1: my boys were now getting impatient, you know, come on dad. So the third spot we went to, I'm driving up and there's no tracks in the road.
2: Yeah.
1: I, and a little side road came in. I said to my son, Kyle, I said, Kyle, check the side road, see if there's any tracks coming in because they could come in from another direction Mm -hmm. we get to the little intersection you know and he said no dad no tracks we drove up couldn't have been more than a quarter of a mile past a a guzzler a big a small game drinker that the department put in in the 50s and we saw a of chucker running up slope so we drove past them climbed the ridge and got into shooting the opening morning and never saw another hunter the rest of the day until we were driving
0: out Uh, yeah 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 i mean that's opening weekend in california area. Yeah, in California, in
1: one of the busiest hunting areas for chucker. No, I will.
0: Was, I, I will echo that. You know, I I I I hunt northeast California uh, every other year, and uh, right. I've had the same experiences. Haven't been down your way, but I I keep trying, and I someday we'll pull it off.
1: But, I'll I'll let you know when we're going to yeah. have a good bird year, like yeah. we had a couple of years ago in Love the lower it. desert, and and you'll have to come. Because I will. It, it's it's well, plus desert camping is one yeah. of my favorite things to do. I just love our deserts
0: oh i'm i I was born a hundred years too late. Uh, nobody issued me the loyal burrow and the and the prospecting tools or i'd be I'd still be out there or at least my bleached bones would be um let's let's generalize a little bit, but we gotta you know we gotta establish your bona fides first so um here's some quick questions for you, okay, uh, over and under or side by side
1: uh well. I shoot everything. Okay. And I'm I'm not a very good side by side shooter. So I shoot, uh, I have an over and under 28 gauge that I shoot a lot. Great. Um, But I also shoot, I hate to admit this to to some of the guys who are purists, but I shoot an old old 870 uh, Express 12 gauge for a lot of my shooting.
0: I love it. And uh, hey, first gun for a lot of us. Absolutely. Uh, Gambles or California Quail? Both. Okay. uh, Pointer or Flusher?
1: both well i I've had labs my whole life, and I've got an English setter laying next to me right now that uh he, he he's a he I, he's a guides- i'm a i'm a retirement home for a guide's dog that had a couple of bad habits
0: yeah yeah, were they so, uh, incurable and, and he, or do, or tolerable
1: oh no no he he's great the the guide said he couldn't deal with Ben because Ben pointed tweety birds uh-huh. well I'm as much an avid birder as I am a hunter, so it's like when he points a tohi and we flush it out of the brush. I'm going, hey Ben, that's a tohi or whatever, you know it happens yeah. to be. You know, and he's wagging his tail and happy. And but but he, I've learned him well enough to know that, I know the difference between now. I've had him two years. When he points rabbits, yeah. squirrels, uh, non-game birds, and when but when it's a game bird, quail or chucker he has a completely different demeanor about it.
0: Yeah, him. yeah. I, and I, so,
1: you I've know, that. once you learn your dog, it's like, well, that's fine. Plus, he's, you know, I had Labradors for, you know, twenty 30 years, 40 years. And, and you know, they're, they're close working dogs. I, I have a GPS caller for this guy. Last year, at one point, he was over a mile away from me. Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, and I'm 68. I'm whispering to myself, "God, don't go on point. Don't go on point. It'll take me 30 minutes to get there."
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I know that feeling, and and don't forget, it's 30 uphill minutes. But that's oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about chuckers later on in the broadcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, you you were kind enough to to share with us an expert uh, valley quail call to open your segment of the podcast. Um, by the way yeah this is the upland nation podcast everybody i'm scott linden your host that's jim matthews he's the uh, editor of the western birds newsletter among other things and this guy knows his stuff so that's a call that you made right
1: yeah you know i started I, i'll tell the story real quick i all of us who were avid bird hunters you know 25 30 years ago well, more than that now 40 years ago used iverson little wood call. I still make, have
0: one from him.
1: No kidding. Mm-hmm. Well, they quit making them, and I had lost mine, and I called them, and I said, hey, I want a quail call. You got to have, you, you got a batch done, or you got to and they said, well, we quit making them, yeah. and it was like, you got to be kidding me. So, you know, I remembered how they were made, because I'd taken it apart and changed the rubber band enough times, so I thought, it can't be too tough, so nope. I took some, you know, wood that I collect in the field. I pick up stuff all the time, or cut stuff, and and I've become kind of a native wood fanatic now, you know. Oh yeah. Like, like the call I blew at the opening is made from mesquite I picked up uh, on the Arizona side of the Colorado River on the Cibola National Wildlife Refuge. Some some dead stuff that I just hacked out a couple of branches, and it's a it's got wormholes in it that I filled with brass powder, and, and you know I made a and I make sound chambers in my calls that Iverson didn't, and but anyway I started making them as just so I could make my own a few years ago, and then you know friends wanted them, so I gave friends. Now I. I sell probably I don't know 50 a year now Wow! Well, and uh, you know I've got a I've got I put I just put a bunch of photos the last couple of days on my Instagram page and there are you know the the current available calls are on my website and great yeah so it's it's uh, it's become more than just a hobby it's become kind of a fun get out of the office and sure. smell, cut wood for a while and like a good friend of mine who's a woodworker says make sawdust
0: yeah I love it if we want to learn more about those what's the website address to, to to go to?
1: Well, it's, uh, it's from my old newspaper business, yeah. and I've got everything on it now. It's Outdoor News Service. So there's a double S in there, OutdoorNewsService.com. Yeah. There
0: you go. And there's the
1: Western Birds page, the Quail Calls page. I also published a little newsletter called California Hog Hunter that we did print for a lot of years and has come back Actually, wow. with a fellow you know is one of the sponsors, Andy McCormick of Legacy Sports. Oh, yeah. He's uh, one of the sponsors of uh, the California Hog Hunter newsletter, along with Hornaday and Turner's Outdoorsman, the biggest chain of, uh, you know, hunting and fishing stores in Southern California. So yeah, we're was... in California now, including yeah. Arizona. well we... and, you know, their goal is to be 50 stores. I mean, the guys are great.
0: Boy, I remember when they were about... Two stores, but
1: yeah, yeah. Well, well you probably remember when it was Andrew's Sporting Goods.
0: Oh, that I'm not going with that far back. Don't forget, I was a music major, so I didn't get into this stuff until much later in life. Uh, but. Um, Small world. Good to hear from Andy, by the way, and, and glad to hear that he's also a sponsor of this podcast. So uh, we'll be talking about him. Let's see uh, later on in the podcast, actually.
1: Oh, good! I was uh, going to say you need to have him on the show every week. I did a radio uh, show for a while, and Andy was my co-host. Yeah, and, and his his infectious l- giggle laugh <laughs> is just lights up any podcast that I, that silly giggle it. of his everybody stops and listens because they know it. whatever's going on is delightful because of Andy's Andy's attitude. And, and he's just a great guy. We've been friends for, you know, probably 40 years now. Wow. More than that.
0: Well, well, you know, let's talk about uh, something that I uh, I'm really intrigued with. And and you mentioned uh, that hunt with your sons and their friends. Uh, I am intrigued by that country out there, uh, Southeast of you, Tell me about a, a great hunt you've had out in that area, and, and put us on the map in the general location of where you were.
1: Uh, you know, because there's so few hunters anymore, I'll, I'll tell people exactly where I hunted last yeah. weekend because I'm not worried about it. You know, yeah. there's another spot nearby that you won't know or yeah. you won't go to, even if you know about it because you'll find so many birds in the other spot some years, or no birds, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, we're drought-related, you know. It's all up and down. But the, the spot to where we had such great hunting last year, is along with uh, a stretch from the little town of uh, Indio out in the lower desert. There's an old road that goes across the north side of the bombing and gunnery range out there in the Chocolate Mountains, and it's called the Bradshaw Trail, and it goes from almost Indio all the way to the Colorado River at the little town of Palo Verde. Wow. And uh, along that route, there's uh, a number of guzzlers, most of them in need of repair, um, and some, some developed springs. Uh, that have been there for years, you know, that were part of the, the old historic mine, uh, you know, cattle operations and whatnot. Yeah. And, and two years ago, those springs held a phenomenal number of birds. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was out there scouting. Actually, it, was, it wasn't was scouting. The season had already opened, but I was scouting for our trip in a couple of weeks. My brother-in-law and I were out there, and, and we counted over 500 birds uh, when we were putting around looking while we were there. Wow. And I, and I shot, I think I shot two for dinner for us one night cause we were camping out there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but, but it, it, that's how good it can be Yeah. And that whole Colorado river corridor. Um, you know, all the washes that run into the Colorado river have permanent water at the lower end because they can go get drink at the, at the river.
2: Yeah. So those
1: numbers are always pretty stable, even if there's not a lot of rains, the, clutch sizes aren't big, but if you hunt where the agriculture there's big ag around Yuma around Blythe and Palo Verde, and so those are irrigated fields, and they they act just like rainfall, oh yeah, in the, they grow bugs, so the coveys that live on the edge of the desert and those irrigated fields are always pretty decent, even in you know even in drought years that where there's no birds in the desert or you know just remnant little pairs here and there um those valley birds generally do good. And you know, since it butts right up against public land, you drive the edges of the fields, and the birds almost always flush into the desert. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's just it's just delightful. You can always have you know reasonable hunting in that part of the world. Well, you you never it it might not be wide open every year, but you know, in good bird years, it's just phenomenal. Nobody
0: thinks about why crops are always bird factories, whether it's onions or corn or something else even alfalfa. Yeah, because they don't eat. it's it's the it's the bugs that grow around that.
1: Yeah, wet soils and bugs are yeah. critical for for, you know, especially hatchlings. Yeah. Well, they, be, they've got to be able to get that high protein diet.
0: Beyond uh bugs and beyond alfalfa, what's the country like out there? Describe it paint a picture for us.
1: Well, it's it's um Mojave Desert, which yeah. is one of the it's probably the driest desert in North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, um, it's mostly very open, creosote, broad desert washes cut by craggy desert mountains. Um, in the north, those mountains have chucker. In the south, they don't because it just gets too dry. Yeah. Um, and, and and it's really beautiful. And the wash corridors are just, it's gorgeous habitat. They, they have Palo Verde, Mesquite, uh, Ironwood, uh, and these are, These are trees, but they're shrubby trees. You have desert willow, uh, smoke thorn, which is you know you think every smoke thorn tree you see is dead or (laughs) on its last legs because they're just really scraggly looking things. But right now we've had so many monsoons, which is atypical; they usually stop at the Colorado River, that the desert looks spring green right now. I was out scouting recently in. The Eastern part of our deserts are just gorgeous. in fact, the Mojave National Preserve, which is open to hunting, you yeah. guys think because yeah. it's managed by the national park service it's not uh, that's a big mistake. but that that half of the they closed the park because all the roads were washed out for a few days,
2: yeah. Yeah,
1: And now it's, you know, there's a lot of places where it's, uh, you know, five mile an hour, pick your way through the gravel and rubble and stuff that they've tried to bulldoze off and create some dirt pathways around the washouts and whatnot. But it, it's going it, to, it could be, I mean, it's a little late for our bird hatch this year, but that area had some decent rains in the winter too. So I, I, I'm kind of hopeful that it'll be okay this year. I don't think it'll be great because we had a crappy hatch last year so we're going to be hunting you know holdover birds and then their small broods from this year so we should have a decent season in the preserve in some areas better than others because of spot rains in the spring you know or late
2: yeah, or yeah. late
1: winter early spring and uh same thing here closer to the where i live in in southern california in the urban sprawl um you know it's going to be there's some places here that look like they could be pretty good i I hunt Cajon Pass which is where Interstate 15 goes from the urban area over onto the desert on its way to Vegas and um, the Cajon Pass is in the kind of where the San San Bernardino and San Gabriel Mountains meet and that area had some really good late rains Um, I was out there in February and I would have said it was going to be dismal because it was dry yeah in February it was dry and things were dead and get out there in may and it's lush green and the grass is knee high and there's paired up quail everywhere and i'm thinking well maybe it won't be bad
0: yeah and and, so. and, and the water there you much like arizona you know we've been wanting to make an arizona quail show uh on tv for a long time and every time we get close to it somebody says oh we didn't get the rain at the right time don't come out but that rain is doing uh what in the springtime that helps the birds tell us uh, from an expert's point of view what do you think that does
1: well it does just what we were talking about yeah ag- yep. um, It it what we have if we have rain late winter and early spring rains it greens up the desert and it makes wet soils and that does two things it creates a good seed crop and it also creates bugs yeah. there's the bugs in the desert I, if you've never seen a covey of quail running after and, and feeding on grasshoppers you've never lived it is a riot to watch the young birds chase grasshoppers and try to eat them oh really uh, oh my gosh it's the delightful show you know um and you know i i get i'm lucky because of the newsletter and whatnot i'm out there a lot when it's you know 100 plus degrees scouting and uh, I get to watch these young birds grow up. And it, it is quite a show to watch them, it, especially if it's a good grasshopper year or whatever. And that usually happens in August when they're getting closer to full grown. Yeah. <laughs> and it is it is a riot. Uh, well, I, they, they, I,
0: I remember watching one young bird chase one grasshopper. And, you know, the way their head's shaped and the way they're where their eyes are located, they miss three quarters of the time when they're pecking at him. Is that is that the funniest thing you've ever seen?
1: Oh yeah, it is a riot! It is a riot because they, the and the birds are you know I mean are the birds the the grasshoppers are really trying to escape
2: you yeah know, and they're flying yeah.
1: and the birds are flying after them and trying to peck them out of the air and <laughs> oh it, it it's it can and then they're running after them on the ground especially after they've broken wings or something trying to catch them and those things are great runners and oh it's it's just a delightful show
0: I love you it. know. Well, um, we're going to get down to some brass tacks here. Let's just start uh, with some of the resources available to guys who, guys, to anybody who wants to hunt Southern California. Besides the Western Bird newsletter, which, by the way, everybody is chock full of practical, useful information. Um, what else uh, What else would help a, a person who wants to visit that area or a listener who's in that area that you would suggest we, we avail ourselves of?
1: Well, I'm a big fan of topographic maps and yeah. land ownership maps. And, yeah. you know, I'm old school enough that I still have paper maps. I have, you know, USGS seven and a half minute topo quads that show all kinds of things that you know, you, you need to look for. It's, it's amazing how often mine shafts have water, for example. So I check mine shafts out. It shows all the springs in the desert, including some that are intermittent that may not have water all the time. Um, you know, they show, obviously, they show the roads. The BLM maps show land ownership mm-hmm. and uh, access routes. So between those two, that's good. You know, most of that stuff is available on a lot of the apps these days. So you could get, you know, apps, apps like OnX Maps and have a lot of this information there. Um, you know, there's even on some of the old Topo maps and OnX has started to do it now, putting guzzler locations. Yeah. for people that aren't aren't familiar with what a guzzler is, it's a man-made water catchment device for wildlife. Usually there's an apron made out of either concrete or corrugated material that directs the water into uh, a tank, whether it's above ground or underground. And the birds can either walk into the tank or it's it's hooked up with a float valve system and they route it off to a little drinker box off to the side where there's a, you know, the water stays at a certain level. and And those are available, you know, that makes them accessible to all wildlife, whereas some of the the guzzlers where the, the tank is underground have a relatively small opening, which really restricts use to small small game and birds. Um, be, you know, it, Basically, it keeps burrows out.
0: Yeah, oh, and, yeah. Uh, burrows. Tell me more. Okay,
1: i, I got to interrupt and tell you a funny story. I told you my short hair is in the <laughs> office here with me, right? Uh-oh. He just discovered I have a mounted antelope on the wall, and he is pointing it.
0: I love it. Um, yeah,
1: I've had him two years, and he's pointing the antelope on my wall, looking at him like, "What? what's going on? I haven't seen you before. Oh, that's so funny. That's hysterical.
0: I remember the first time um, my dog walked into the home gym we have that had recently been inherited of a, an, an elk head. we <laughs> got the same thing. I hope he never does it for, in real
1: life. <laughs> I have a I have a beautiful mounted bobcat in my in my family room and it sits up way up on top of the entertainment unit and my son has a black lab that's now well he will be 3 this year uh, I'll never forget the first time he saw that bobcat he started barking and coming unglued, I bet. and the cat had been there for a year in his visits, and he saw it at about a year old, and it was still a puppy, you know, Labradors are puppies till they're eleven and uh he 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 just came unglued. it was a riot, but mounted game is really funny i I saw a photo on Instagram today of a of a uh, I think it was a Brittany puppy. The guy posed it next to a chucker mount oh yeah, so there's there's the beautiful pose shot of the puppy, and then the next photo is the puppies licking the chucker's beak. Oh, which is huh. the better photo. You know, I thought, this is great stuff. You know, for dog guys, we love that
0: stuff. Lucky he didn't bite the head off. Uh, at our, well, that, at that our house, there'd be nothing too. left. Yeah.
1: Well, well I did, talking about dogs biting the head off, I had some calls ready to ship out laying here on my desk, and my son visits with this Labrador. And uh, we ran to get some lunch, and so we closed the door and kept him in, in you know, the bedroom office area. And uh, I come back, and one of the calls is on the floor, chewed to smithereens.
0: Oh, God, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, and and so I I had to post photos. I I laughed. My son felt so bad, and, and I said, Kyle, I'll make another one. It's not a big deal, you know. And it was I have so I have before and after photos that I've posted on social media. And you know, I kind of an advisory: watch, yeah. don't let your labs speak where they can get these. You know. Oh God, you know we. Uh, well, I, I I It's probably my fault because I use uh, I use beeswax and a you know a, a mineral oil and then pinion pine pitch to make my own, you know. A finish that's yeah, you know, doesn't bother your lips or anything. It's not. Mm. It's not like some of the tough ones. It's it's basically like butcher block oil. You can eat it, and the lab apparently thought he should eat it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you know, uh, all right, everybody. If you own a breed other than Labrador, don't be laughing because it's it, it's a it's an equal opportunity temptation. Now let's just leave it at that. Um, in fact, speaking of it <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about we got sidetracked way Burroughs. too much here we'll we'll talk about burrows in a moment as well give me a moment here to um to make a couple commercial announcements that's jim matthews i'm scott linden this is the upland nation podcast hold on jim for a moment pet your dog i'll be right back to you the rest of you Stick around. We're also going to talk about your most important goal this hunting season. You'll be fascinated by what people are hoping to set as their priorities. But first off, we mentioned Andy McCormick, and he's been on the podcast before. Good friend of Jim's, good friend of mine. He runs the marketing for Pointer Shotguns, among other brands. A work of art at a price. It's a thing of beauty couple things to remind you. First off, they got a new pointershotguns.com website. Yeah, simple. Even I can figure it out. But I figure it out fast because I'm all over that page. If you're looking for advice or anything like that, I hopefully have some of that kind of stuff to offer you at pointershotguns.com. You know, they've got a whole bunch of models from upscale target guns to hunting guns of various sorts and a new single shot pump gun. So avail yourself of all the products they have at pointershotguns.com and uh, hey, I'll see you there, literally. And then last chance, sign up today for the Burt County Bird Bounty that's benefiting CAMO, the Canine Adoption and Mentoring Outdoors program. Learn more at CAMO, K-A-M-O-I-N-C.org. It's a big fundraiser, a whole weekend, but the deadline to sign up is October 1. Learn more at camoinc.org. And hopefully Jim is still there and still willing well, to talk here. with me, <laughs> Jim Matthews. Well, while, you, while you were
1: giving that, I had to call up the Pointer Shotgun's website while I'm sitting here at my computer, and and I see there's this really kind of old mustachioed yeah. guy with the same
0: pointer that I have. Oh, uh, fa- face made for podcasting.
1: Well, that's right. We always used to joke uh, in the newspaper business that... that uh, we have uh, we have the face for radio and the voice for newspaper.
0: <laughs> Still true for both of us, but that's the fun part. Um, we are um, we are talking about all things. I guess I'll just I'll I'll lump it into Southern California and Quail and other things that are somewhat related, and we'll keep it at that. You know, you you've mentioned before, and if I could ever get to one of your seminars, I bet this is one of the topics. Uh, there are a bunch of things we could learn. To become a better western quail hunter whether we're hunting nevada one of my favorite places southern california or even up into the the northern great basin where i live um, can you narrow it down to maybe the four tips that will help us be the best western quail hunter we can be
1: well i always i always do this in my seminars and i always say guys well there are you know four things that i'd like to stress for for hunters in the southwest, especially, Great Basin and southwest. And there, these four things, I have them on a three-by-five card, and I always tell guys that um, this is everything I've learned on this card about quail chucker hunting in the southwest over the last, you know, 45, 50 years of bird hunting here. And I said, so it's either not rocket science or I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm not <laughs> sure which it is. Oh, um, my. Oh, but the, but the, the the first thing that I tell guys is, especially through the early part of the season when it's dry, is water is everything. If you're not hunting within, you know, what the bird's home range away from water would be, uh, you know, a mile, mile and a half, two miles for gambles quail, a mile, less than a mile for valley quail, or a couple of miles for chucker. you're not going to be hunting in bird country. There's got to be... A permanent water source especially in the mojave desert which doesn't have you know any of the succulent cactuses that they could use like say in southern arizona or new mexico um, so so you need to be near water whether it's springs guzzlers stock tanks whatever the open water is that you have to be near water so i always say that's number one you that's number one for your scouting and you know, whether you're scouting on maps or however google earth whatever you're using look for water first mm-hmm. and then In the field, the second thing that always—it just always baffles me—that bird hunters don't know this—is hunt the north northeast-facing slopes. If you're in the foothills, the north northeast-facing edges of washes. I mean, I used to tell the story. I said for years when I was young. And stupid i'm now I'm old and stupid, but when I was young and stupid, I did nothing stuck, you know, and we would hunt this one big desert wash, and it's a big flat area, so you think North North Bay ed doesn't matter out here, right, yeah, but we would we would always hunt up this wash, and occasionally we'd jump birds, but we always jump birds when we went around this big corner, and there was it was it was where the wash kind of went near a little hill, and the wash bank was fairly steep, and there was a little more vegetation and okay. some more of these scrubby trees. And finally, one, this is back when I still carried a compass. I got there, and I'm looking at it, and I pulled out my compass. And I looked at my compass, and, you know, it was one of those hand slaps to the forehead, Yeah, of course. This is the north-facing edge of this. This is where, why is the north-facing slope important? What's on the north slope of the mountain, the most shade? Yeah. So because there's shade, the water doesn't evaporate as fast, so you have better food and cover. Growth,
0: you know, especially and that desert. exactly because you know we tell everybody just the opposite uh, most of the time. Chucker hunting elsewhere, um, you you want a south facing slope so that it warms up faster in the winter time. The birds will go there and th- almost literally thaw out. But in the in the desert there, it makes all the sense in the world, and who to thunk it?
1: And and I think even even throughout the Great Basin. Um, you know late in the season when it's cold the birds immediately swing over the hill to get in that sunshine yeah. so they're on the south facing slope yeah. but i think you'll find most of the time they're near the top of the hills the ridges
0: yeah so they can, and yeah
1: they flush right back over into the better cover on the north side yep and a lot of guys don't understand that so water north northeast facing slopes and then i always talk about you know one of the things I love to hear is when I hear talk to a guy or somebody that especially if I run into another hunter and we're chit chatting and it's a spot I haven't been to this year and the guy I pull up next to a guy on the road, you know and hunters share stuff and talk. And I say, Hey, you've been out here this year, you know and and it's like, yeah, and I love this expression. It was good early on, but they're all shot out. I love to hear that expression. Because what it means is the guy has no clue where they go after it rains or when they get hunting pressure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's called, you know, I call it late season or hunting pressure dispersal. Once it starts raining a little bit and we get more moisture out there and we get green up immediately when the rain starts. So there's green shoots that they can eat to get help get moisture and they might not visit water. So they'll they might for 2 or 3 or 4 days, they'll venture farther away from water. The other thing that happens in our lava country throughout the Mojave is we get a good rain there's basins of water in some of that lava outcropping stuff. I'd love to tell the story. There's a place that I like like to hunt. And for those of you who are movie fans, the little town of Hinkley. I don't know if you remember the movie Aaron Brockovich. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's where Julia Roberts actually appeared to have large breasts. (laughs) Uh, Can we say that on your podcast? Anyway... There's, there's a mountain range north of Hinckley that's called the Black Mountains, and there's another mountain there adjacent to the Black Mountains. It's Opal Mountain. It's all part of the same complex. There's a big natural spring on Opal Mountain, Opal Mountain Spring, imagine that. And then there's four guzzlers in the Black Mountains, and, and two of them are in the bottom of the canyon, black canyon that drains the north side of the mountains. And we frequently would see birds in the bottom of the canyon, and they'd go straight up the north slope, to the top of the ridges through just there's a whole series of lava benches basically all the way to the top of the mountain it's a volcanic muddy. sure and i was almost to the top of the mountain and this was years ago my lab started acting birdie and next thing i know chucker or flushing and, and in one of those rare displays where i actually shot what i uh, hit what i shot at i doubled on chucker
0: what's that feel like man, i'll never know
1: yeah i i, I i've never you know I, it's, it never happens to me. I, I rarely kill one bird, let alone two. So the, the lab brings me one and I walk over toward the other one and he goes back to hunting. And the next thing I know, and I, as I pulled in the bird that he brought me and I walk over and pick up the other one, which was close, they're both wet on yeah. their chest. And, yeah. and I'm thinking, well, what? And I hadn't run birds up the hill because the, the dog had not got birdie yet. And I'm standing there with these two birds in my hands look at it, where did they get, and the next thing I hear is my Labrador going <laughs>
2: and
1: and some splashing and I look and I walk over and there's this big little, a big basin under some rock outcroppings and he's laying in the water up to his chin like labs do and drinking. Yeah, And I'm thinking, they don't have to go to the bottom of the canyon
0: anymore. We We learn that every chucker season. It's absolutely true and it doesn't even need to be lab sized. It can be you know the size oh, yeah. of, a, be the size of a, a bowl. You know, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely true, and and then plus the the moisture from the plants, and and that together is that. Now the other thing that you've mentioned before is uh, what snow does to a hunting situation. So if they're dispersed, it's later in the season. There's moisture in more places. Is that related before to before we go to
1: that? Let me okay. let me just finish the late season dispersal. Okay, just as right. a rule of thumb for guys. I, I always tell guys, where do they go? I mean, in the like gambles quail will live right in the wash bottoms. Yeah. Until they start getting hunting pressure, and the guys quit seeing them in the wash bottoms. Mm-hmm. They drive the you know, and they they, but early in the season they see them running up and down the wash, and they get out and chase them and shoot birds. Late in the season, the same spots they don't see any birds, and that's yeah. where the they're all shot out comes from. Yeah. Well, no, most most valley and gamble quail both get out of the main wash bottoms they move up into the little finger draws and up. And, you know, usually on the north or northeast sides of that wash is where they go. And and so you you have to cover more ground. You know, you have to hunt, you know, in and out of those little side canyons sure. off the main wash. Yeah. And so that's that's what happens. So they, they disperse up and into the side draws. The quail do. Chucker, Chucker, once they get rain, will move miles yeah. sometimes to a mountain range where they only live to, I mean, they'll move across six miles of flat desert to a, a little craggy mountain uh, where they'll, in, unless you know, they go there, it's, it's like, you know, you bumble into those spots by accident because they're not where you think they should be. So you start looking to the North and, you know, of, of where you normally hunt them to the nearest place where they might do that. And uh, whether it's along a ridge, they go, and they generally go north, which is kind of unusual, because at least in the south here, where they, that's the direction they head. Uh, maybe in the far northern extremes of their range, they might move south to get away, you know, yeah. arguably away from the storms. But I, I don't think so. I, I talked to some, there's some, we have a great Armenian hunting community in Southern California. And uh, they're, they've been my chucker mentors. Yeah. And uh, these guys from that part of the world say, oh, no, they all... They all moved to the north, and he said sometimes to, you know, completely out of the mountain range where you normally see them, the little craggy mountains kind of out in the middle of the flats, you find them there, and, and it was like ever since I started doing that, you know, I've always joked about writing a book about chucker hunting in the southwest and call it, called, I want to call it Climbing Unnamed Desert Peaks, um, would, you know, it would
0: be he, a great could, adventure in and of itself.
1: Yeah, well, I probably wouldn't even mention the fact about killing a chucker until about the fifth chapter. I love it.
0: Oh, it's good. Well, you know what they say?
1: I'm sure you've said this on the podcast before. You know what they say about chucker hunting. You do it the first time for sport and revenge every time after that.
0: Absolutely true. Although I'd like to do with an Armenian who brought his own homemade baklava with him as well. Uh, One of their
2: claims to fame.
0: Different than baklava, but not quite the same so uh familiar well, let me tell you an herself. Armenian
1: tip for chucker hunting since we're doing the four tips this would be a little bonus tip i love it in 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 northern iran the, these the iran and armenians both have huge hunting heritage yeah. in northern iran they use fairly large multicolored um, quilts or blankets and they lay them out in the snow and build a blind by them oh yeah And the birds are attracted to that open, multicolor blanket.
0: Fascinating.
1: And there's a guy that made, you know, he made little pop-up blinds, but he made a couple of these for chucker hunting, and they were big sellers among, you know, the the mountain Middle Eastern hunting community that lives in this place because they all remember that heritage. Oh, yeah. And I... And it's worked. He's hunted in southern Idaho with those things late, late in the season in snow country. Mm -hmm. And he's just popped these things up and sat sat behind them, And the chucker come to him. He lets the dog go and they go hunt him.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. It's amazing. I'm not surprised. I really am not. I I remember many years ago, back when we were both giving talks at those international sportsman shows, I remember a goose guide who would guide um, winter wheat fields uh so they'd have the layout blinds and all that and he, what he would do is he'd take green carpet squares and plant them out there the only green in a in a field of brown and mud and that's where the goose would lay in so there you go well well, there's one for you waterfowlers out there and you're listening to the upland nation podcast i'm scott linden that's jim matthews with western birds newsletter and if you're still interested in those calls go to outdoor dot com now let's talk snow because we put up with a lot of it yeah
2: yeah
1: that's my fourth tip In, in southern california we we have these uh, transverse mountain ranges that separate the urban areas from the desert. Yeah, And um, uh, we don't have it every year, but uh, I have a group, and, and same in the southern Sierra Nevada. Uh, the snows come usually in December and January, but w- we call it the miracle of snow. And what happens is, is when we get that big snowstorm, the one that snows down to 2,500 feet, you know, just dumps, and it covers up, you know, the ground, and, you know, it, it snows so hard that it filters under the manzanita and the, and the, the junipers in the higher elevations. Okay. And, and I swear, it's almost like all the chucker and mountain quail that live up higher. When we get that big storm, it's like they wake up and shake the snow off of them from the roost there on that night, and they look, at, and they look out across the desert, which they can see, and they just launch out and set their wings and glide down 3,000, 4,000 feet to the snow line. Wow. And I tell you, I've got some bird hunting buddies that they wait and watch the news every evening when we're getting these big storms, and they want to know what the snow level is and the intensity of the storm. And they're veteran enough that they know if we get, you know, six, eight inches of snow all the way down to, you know, 3,000 feet, that they're in. And they've got the truck packed, the dogs are taken out first thing in the morning, and they drive up. To the, the Southern Sierra is famous for this. They drive up and they take one of those little dirt roads up to the snow line and they hunt along the snow line Yeah. and they go side-hilling yep. in and out of all the canyons, right at the snow line. And it's, it's one of those times when you can shoot Valley quail, cause they live down there year round, mountain quail that have been pushed down and chucker that have been pushed down right along the snow line. Yeah. And, and I always tell this story in my seminars and guys, you they're taking notes and they're thinking, wow, this is great information, you know? And then every year, I get a phone call, and somebody says, you're full of, you know, and they say, I did just what you said in that seminar. I went up there after the big storm, and and I walked the snow line, and I didn't see squat all. Okay. And and so I had to start adding an addendum, like Paul Harvey always used to Uh say. Uh You need the rest of the story. Well, this is Southern California, folks, and so if it snows hard on say saturday and sunday and you're going to go up the following weekend in between we have four days of 85 90 degree weather and the snow line goes from 2000 or 2500 feet back up to about 4500 feet and if you drive up to the snow line and hunt there the birds don't follow the snow back up the mountain that's that's the winter migration basically it pushes them down yeah. Just like deer. You yeah. know, deer don't keep going back up every time the snow melts a little bit. They stay on their winter range. Okay. Well, the quail and the quail and chucker do the same thing. They may move back up a little bit, but they, they stay at that lower elevation. And then the farther you get away from that big storm is they distribute out more.
2: Okay. So
1: they might be up a little bit, down a little bit. They move all over through that country. But you still can find all three species in that lower elevation country. And for guys in California, in Southern California, uh, killing a mountain quail is like killing a six point bull elk in Colorado. Mm -hmm. I always joke with guys. I say it Mm -hmm. is the true trophy game bird in Southern California because the terrain we hunted in is almost impossible. It's heavy manzanita thickets, junipers. It's just nasty stuff. If you get a shot at all at snap shooting, most of the time the birds are running away from you under manzanita that is impenetrable. If, if you haven't hunted a Manzanita, guys, it's imagine a beautiful reddish bush with branch reddish branches, bright green leaves, sometimes little scrubby berries, that is like spring steel, and will slice open your leg if you try to push through it.
0: And and you Those will branches, try, just
1: yeah,
0: because. Yeah, and you will. Uh, well,
1: it's it's a standard joke. If you hunt Manzanita in Southern California, you will come back bloody.
0: Yeah no doubt about it. Been there, done that. Don't miss it. And, uh, yeah. and you're but it's absolutely also right. Amazing,
1: amazing country. And so it's one of those rare opportunities when the birds get pushed down sometimes out of that stuff. I mean, I've shot, you know, I shot nine mountain quail one time right at the desert. Yeah. By, by a desert spring where they'd after three warm days, they'd congregated around this desert spring. Well, and there were birds everywhere. And I shot nine and I would have shot a limit of 10, but I was, there were so many birds. I was wearing earplugs and muffs, so I wouldn't hurt, damage my hearing any more than I have. And I, I stuck a wad. I thought it was a misfire, and I jacked it out, shot the next shot, and did an accordion on my 870 barrel. Wow. just opened up right there above my hand about five inches. Woo! Yeah, and so that was, that was my, you know, on that same day, I killed two mountain quail with one shot with a witness. My brother-in-law saw it. One was going straight away. One was angling across. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to get them both. I I even thought that in my head. Pulled the trigger, and my brother-in-law immediately says, how did you do that from his angle? They fell 25 feet apart. I love it. And it it was like, wow, I'm thinking that was a, that was one of those red letter days. You know, I blew up a gun barrel, killed a double on mountain quail with one shot and had nine birds that we ate for dinner that night.
0: Okay, kids don't try that at home, at least part of yeah, it. Yeah,
1: no, don't do and, that. Be and, careful. And, yeah, that, and that's, that a, was, that's a good advisory.
0: Yeah, that was the not the order to do it either. You did it in the right order and I'm glad I'm jealous, of course. I I I think I probably shot nine mountain quail the last two seasons but that's another Well, wow, you've had a
1: good couple of seasons then i always say if i kill one a year down yeah. here that it's been a banner year
0: well uh, last week's podcast talking with by the way an expert i'll i'll send you an email on a, a guy who's truly expert academic and hunter um rocky gutierrez uh was telling me oh i know rocky okay sure. good never mind well rocky pointed out that uh, there are many times when valley quail and mountain quail are basically in the same neighborhood at the same time and he explained why and that's one of the reasons is this snow yep. l- snow line dropping and et cetera. Et cetera.
1: Yeah. let's get yeah, pl- so that's the yeah that's the miracle of snow those are my four tips so Great. water northeast facing slopes where they go with late season and hunting dispersal, and then the miracle of snow, and that one doesn't happen every year. There are a yeah. lot of seasons where we don't get that in Southern California, but we'll get it yeah. somewhere else. You, you know, yeah, it's always yeah. in the Sierra Nevada, especially yeah. the further north you go. Yeah, all of Northern Nevada has that. Absolutely, uh, same with Southern Idaho and Eastern Oregon. Yeah, they get pushed down almost every year. Yeah, um,
0: and they don't—they don't, they they don't go well, all the way back up. That's—I the think—that's the real key. Right. That I—they don't I've go taken back up until.
1: Yeah, they don't go back up until it's nesting time in the spring.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Just like mule
1: deer. The mule deer don't go back up over those mountain passes until they're opened up and they they go up to, to, you know, start looking around for places to have their fawns.
0: Great. Okay, we didn't get around to the last topic. Let's save that for another time because it is one of those stuck-in-my-craw kind of topics. We'll tease it right now, though. You know, why the heck isn't anybody in an official capacity – trying to figure out number one where the quail are why the quail and the pheasants in particular in california are declining in population numbers we'll talk about that another time i do have one more practical question for you though jim you've been around the block a few times you're out there you know scouting hunting uh scouting for hunting all of the above what's one critical piece of gear that you have in your hunting vest that we might not have thought about
1: well we talked about calls a little bit at the beginning yeah but i i mean i and i don't say this just because i make calls because there's a lot of good calls on the market that guys can buy for a lot less money than mine mine are heirloom calls more than yeah. anything yeah. but uh, I, I use a call virtually every time i'm in the field in coil country
2: yeah
1: and, and, and i don't think enough guys carry them or know how to use them
2: true
0: um, on both counts
1: a, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a thing on my website, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a free issue of Western Birds, that's kind of everything you wanted to know about quail calling. And uh, that, to me, is probably the most essential, underrated piece of equipment that I carry around. Mm-hmm. The, the other thing that a lot of bird hunters don't carry is binoculars. Yeah. Uh, especially in chucker country, my gosh. Um, but, but Gamble's quail, too. I, I carry binoculars and and I use them all the time um, you know I look for where there's a you know you see a cottonwood tree out in the middle of the desert it's got its toes in water yeah there may not be a spring there but you're gonna want to go look
0: you, you know I saw an example of that perfect example of that I was uh, we were fi- actually fishing the Deschutes River and uh, it wasn't bird season or anything but perfect example of what you just pointed out you're not off. sometimes you're looking for the birds themselves, and if they're skylined the right way, or, you know, or you're close enough with binoculars, you might see real birds, but you do see the things that are important to birds, and in this case, it was a big green patch on a pile of lava, and sure enough, we didn't see chuckers, but you know what we saw? We saw 40 bighorns go yeah. from who knows where over to there. They sought out. That same warm, uh, cooler, moister environment that had feed for them, and and birds are the same way. So, like you said, looking for a cottonwood tree, looking for a green band or a patch, or what other things can we see through those binocs that would be dead giveaways?
1: Well, you know, I think we've covered most of the stuff. Um, I I look at, <laughs> I look at roads. I see a little something, two tracks somewhere. I'm thinking, hmm, let's look at that from here before we drive out there and realize that there's a washout we can't get past. So you can see that. And I spend a lot of time on vantage points, glassing. Yeah. Um, And, you know, back in the day before we had, uh, you know, Google Earth, where you could actually see the guzzlers from Google Earth almost everywhere in Southern California now. You can find a lot of them just by looking at Google Earth. Yeah. Um, I used to have to work off maps. And frequently, they were marked wrong on the old topo maps at the Department of Fish and Wildlife, Department of Fish and Game. Back in those days, when they actually did things, um, that, that were mark- mismarked. In fact, some yeah. of them have been mismarked up to a mile and a half, two miles from where they actually were. Yeah. And so, we, my brother-in-law and I, did this. Have done this for years and years. We climbed the nearest high point and glass for the apron. We looked yeah. for the dark yeah. guzzler. Yep. And you know, so we spend a lot of time climbing hills, ridgelines, you know, side hills and glassing, especially when we're looking for stuff like that. The same thing is true for stock tanks or, you know, in the in the Mojave, historically there would be a windmill and and a stock tank there. And that those are pretty easy to find because the windmills are very visible. But a lot of those also have a pipeline running from that stock tank mm. down a mile or two to another stock tank and mm-hmm. the pipeline continues to another stock tank and another pipeline continues to another stock tank and they're all fed by that same well. Yeah. And so there might be four or five water sources along some of those old windmill lines that were done for cattle.
2: There you and go. those were
1: those were wildlife magnets and, you know, we're talking about management or fish and game and you know, and land management agencies have allowed all of that stuff to be yanked out or removed. And we've destroyed wildlife populations by doing that. We've eliminated whole areas of habitat where they once lived because they had permanent water.
0: Yeah, and it's it's mind boggling to me that they would actually go to the trouble of spending my tax dollars to go and destroy some of those water sources that's just oh well,
1: let's don't get started on okay. that we'll have to have a round table we on that because we have about 50 people who would want to participate
0: we'll do that uh, in a future podcast you're listening to the upland nation podcast we're going to bid adieu to jim matthews if you want more information on everything he does go to outdoor news service Everything from uh, quail calls to the Western Birds newsletter. It's all right there. We will be talking again very soon. Actually, probably as I anticipated, a trip to Southern California. Jim, thanks so much for being part of the Upland Nation podcast.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I hope everybody gives a
0: a good fall this year. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we've still got a few other things to talk about, including your priorities for this season. Maybe an idea for you in that regard as well, so stick around. First, a word from sageandbreaker.com, just like it sounds, sageandbreaker.com named after a couple great bird dogs fred you know your stuff there but fred also knows how to put together great instructional videos on cleaning your shotguns and if you have handguns or or rifles as well there's great videos on all of those learn how to do it the right way at sageandbreaker.com then while you're there sign up for the mailing list you won't miss any of the very infrequent sales you'll also find out when new products come down the pipeline and Anything you buy, anytime, always free shipping at sageandbreaker.com. And if you are thinking about visiting Southern California or anywhere else with your bird dog, you better put them in a kennel when you're traveling. Roughlandkennels.com is where you can learn about the most used performance kennels in the country yeah they pioneered the roto molding process for dog kennels they know a little bit about it the joy of roughland kennels is you take it out of the box you put it in your truck you put your dog in the box you're hunting no assembly required and no lip on the outside of that box that uh, takes up a lot of the interior space on the inside learn more about all the products from crates to water storage to gear organization even a fan for the front or the side door of your roughland kennels at rough r-u-f-f roughland You know, I love picking your brains, even if I can't do it personally, I do ask some questions in various places, and this one, uh, you got me to thinking, because I'm always wondering why we go hunting, and I was particularly interested in this year, kind of finally got the leash unclipped, the COVID leash, that is, not that it stopped all of us, but uh, I did a poll on the e-newsletter a, a few weeks ago that I I was fascinated with the results, I asked What's your most important goal this hunting season? Take a moment. How would you answer it? Well, I am heartened to see that the most popular response was, Hunt again with an old friend. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but I think you're on the right track. 23.6% of you said that's the number one priority this season. Keep up the good work. And if you're so inclined, hey, I've got some tips for you at find No, no, where is it? Oh, at furfeathersfriends.com. So if you want to do that hunt with an old friend or a new friend, learn more there. Number 2 on the list, uh let's call it a dead heat for number 2. of you said, break in a new dog. 19% said, go somewhere new. Hey, maybe I'll see you there. Uh, Next on the list, the only other one in double digits, revisit an old favorite spot. I understand them all. They're all excellent. The 6% of you who are taking a newcomer hunting, more power to you. More hints at findbirdhuntingspots.com and that segment of the show is brought to you by trulock chokes i've talked to scott trulock on the podcast you know of their expertise and they are working hard to serve shotgunners in all sorts of ways from the information they have on their website to the way they go about their business Any orders of three or more choke tubes receive a 10% discount. A free choke tube case on orders over $99.99. And if you think that's spendy for a choke tube, well, it's the easiest way to make your shooting improved in one twist of the choke tube wrench. TrueLockchokes.com And you spell Trulock, T-R-U-L-O-C-K. TruelockChokes.com. Oh boy, I'm, you know, for decades we've meant to have this chat. Jim Matthews, thanks so much for being a part of the show. If you want more information from Jim, go to OutdoorNewsService.com. Everybody who comments at social media platforms, who responds to the polls that I do periodically, that's where we learn is all of that stuff. Thank you. If you left a rating or a review where you listen to your podcast, I am most grateful to that. And also to all of our sponsors, Roughland Performance Kennel, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, Ringneck Nation of Huron, South Dakota, and Truelock Chokes. Until I see you in the field on the northeast slope, (laughs) I'm Scott Linden. I'll see you at the range. Thanks for listening.